It's the Stazapod, and despite this head cold, I'm going to do my best to get through this little chat with you. And I do apologize. I'm a bit raspy. I'm a bit short of breath. Um, I have a touch of the bubonic plague, but uh, we're going to power through, and we're going to do a little bit late, but we're going to do a Toy Fair recap. Let's go. Before we hop into my uh, Toy Fair recap and the things that went on that weekend, I did want to encourage everyone to go to the store and get The Art of K.O.T.S. Volume 1. This is a collection of some of the great artists that I've had the privilege of working with over the past five plus years. This book was put together by Drew Wise, who is really fantastic, one of my go-to guys for helping tell the visual story of Knights of the Slice. There are some never-before-seen pieces of work in there. There's some behind-the-scenes sketches. There's a couple pieces of concept art that I've never shown that are on the horizon for some new characters. There's a ton of secrets built into this. So if you're a fan, for $2.99, you can get the digital ebook, and it helps all of the efforts with Knights of the Slice. Um, so far, the reaction has been really strong. This is the most copies of any digital book I've sold Uh, let alone just in one day. So I thank you guys uh, for supporting it thus far. If the demand continues, I will put this into print and I will load it up with some brand new things that I think you're going to absolutely love. There's going to be some tremendous um, bonuses that I will add to the print edition. So thank you guys for the support and thank you for being patrons as well. Um, In these uncertain times with the coronavirus and the instability of just, uh, you know, I guess our world in general, having the cushion of patron support keeps me alive and keeps this operation running. And uh, I predict there's going to be lean times ahead. But uh, as you've sort of seen, a theme with myself and a theme with Mr. Matt Dowdy is when we are in an existential crisis, when uh, things are very bleak, when the overall outlook of things is pretty bleak. Um, Myself and Matt, we both do our best work. We're kind of, we're twisted in that respect, that when things are stacked against us, we actually excel. And I think you you can see that in all the short stories I'm writing, all the artwork I'm doing, all the new characters that are being created on the fly, like Azulatu, not somebody who was planned whatsoever. Um... It's an exciting time to be alive. So go to the store, buy the book. If you're a patron, thank you. If you're not, consider hopping on and supporting. And with that, I will get to the Toy Fair breakdown. Wait, not quite yet. I did forget one thing. New patron gifts have been announced. $25 tier are getting the Steel Cyber Mama. This is that classic metallic swirl plastic you guys love so much including Black Eye Deco. This might be the first time there's been Deco on a patron gift. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but if memory serves. Um, She comes with just the sort of core body of Cyber Mama, as you guys can see in the picture. Uh, $5 tier folks are getting a vector chip. This is a new sort of item. They're essentially acrylic keychains, but I like to imagine they hold some kind of secret to the vector world. Uh, beyond just being a material possession. 
we'll see if that ever comes to fruition. Uh, so, uh, March 1st, you guys are going to start getting billed. Consider swapping your tiers now so you're in place and ready to go. Steel Cyber Mama is while supplies last. So, um, some of you are going to be disappointed because let me talk about what did not happen at Toy Fair. And there's a very specific reason for this. What did not happen at Toy Fair is I did not sit down with anybody and interview anybody for Distazapod. I made the conscientious choice to just go to Manhattan with the only goal of just seeing people I haven't seen in a while, spending time with friends, talking as a human being, and not being concerned with documenting, recording, saving for prosperity. I, I do that all day long when I'm in the cabin and by myself, and I, I am trying to take breaks from purposefully monetizing every second of my existence. And I think you guys can probably appreciate that. Um, and I can always get people on the line later on through the Anchor app to sort of discuss with them. So I've made the conscientious choice to just experience people in human form rather than sort of put the game face on and sit down in a semi-contrived fashion and ask questions and have a toy-based conversation. So please allow me that indulgence. Um, there's no shortage of interesting things that happened this past weekend. Um, Saturday night kicked off with the Toy Boys, Josh and Bobby, my childhood friends. We've, uh, we could have been the only three people in our small, tiny town that were into comics and action figures and things like that. Um, maybe I put our good buddy Matt Pandel in that too, but Matt was cooler than us, for sure. He was like subversively a nerd. Um, so us three, you know, we did everything together. And uh, we were all at that ripe age when Image Comics happened and, and McFarland Toys happened. So these are my brothers. They're not even my friends. They're family. And it's rare for all three of us to be in the same place at the same time. But we got together, not for Toy Fair. We actually didn't realize until later that was Toy Fair weekend. But to go to a concert for the Swedish punk band Refused. Uh, if you do not know Refused, they are worthy of a listen and of a, a read. Um, I'll be honest with you, I think you only have to focus on their album Shape of Punk to Come, although they have they have some other good songs that are not on that album, but really that album is is the pinnacle of their work. It has endured for a very long time, and... Uh, I may do a sort of separate pod about Dennis Lixon, the lead singer, and his various musical projects, because there's enough there to talk for a very long time about. But we looked at this concert as sort of the last cool thing we are going to do in our 30s. All three of us are turning 40 this year, so this was our, our swan song. This was the last time to prove, you know, we have youth coursing through our veins. We are viral, or virile, and viral. Um, young men and what do young men do they go to concerts where you don't sit down you stand up the whole time and you listen to loud screaming people and um, it was great before we got in though there was a very funny thing that happened that was new noise by refused I apologize 
for blowing out your speakers there. They really should have a, an option here on Anchor to like ease in and out of songs. I, I don't know why they don't have a slider for the volume for that. Hopefully they add that as a future as a feature in the future. Um, but that is a that was the song that first introduced me to Refuse. I saw their video. There was this sort of MTV competitor around 98, 99 that was on TV showing actual music videos, whereas MTV had deviated from that formula. And that's where I found out about Refused, found out about Vast, I found out about Placebo on this really great indie block of uh, this music video channel. I can't think of the name of it. It was something 2, like O2 or something. I don't know. If you guys know, let me know. Um, so uh, earlier that day, Josh Garrett came into town, flew up just for the concert. We hit up what meager local toy stores there are in my neck of the woods in Manhattan. Um, went to Target and I found Nightwing from the new Spin Master Batman line, which I'm, I'm liking quite a bit. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, we were just going to walk around all day. I bought the uh, Nightwing figure, tossed out the packaging and put him in my accessories in, uh, my little coat pocket. And, uh, then we, you know, we kind of fussed around the city waiting for time to come. Now I have a bad habit of going to concerts with a knife on me. <laughs> I carry a gravity blade because I'm opening up packages all the time. And um, it's just a sort of, you know, it's a very utilitarian thing. Um, I, it's, I don't know. I, I can't quite explain it, but if you guys work with your hands at all, you probably have a little pocket knife on you. And I am notorious for going to the opera, going to, you know, concerts, going to fancy events where there's metal detectors, and of course having a fucking knife on me. I, I, I'm, I can't sort of, I never seem to learn my lesson. But this night, I learned my lesson. I left my pocket knife behind in the apartment because I knew there would be metal detectors when we got to this uh, Refuse concert. So for once in my life, I remembered. So Josh gets through the security line, no problem. I'm there, and I realize I have my keys on me. And my car keys have a knife in a small sheath. It's a tiny little thing. It is, uh, let me see, the manufacturer's a buck knife. It's this tiny, tiny thing. And uh, could, it couldn't possibly hurt somebody, but it could open a letter. And I'm like, shit, I have, I, I thought I was prepared for this. You know, I'm kind of like when the Joker gets apprehended in the dark night. I'm just, I'm hiding these blades in all places. Uh, luckily, I threw my, threw my keys into the, the uh, sort of security bowl. I don't know what it's called. And uh, they didn't take too hard of a glance at that. They didn't care. But they're patting me down and they're very concerned with a pill box that I have in the uh, sort of arm pocket of my uh, jacket. And they make me open it up, and look, it's nothing terribly interesting. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm sort of a doomsday prepper in that I'm walking around at all times with some medication and knives, obviously. Uh, it's not an issue I'm prepared to deal with, but it is me. Um, and inside is a Tums, a melatonin, a charcoal tablet, an antacid, nothing 
you, you cannot have a good time with any of these pills. So they make me identify each and every pill that's in there holding up the line. And I'm like, just throw them out. I'd like to keep the pill box, but throw them out. It doesn't matter. It's just in case I go out to get some curry. You know, nothing, <laughs> no, uh, no reason to raise a terror level here. So they do that, they give it back, and then she pats my breast pocket, and she's like, what's in there? And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Pull out a tiny sketchbook, which I always have on me. Pull out a pen, which I always have on me. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. I left my Nightwing figure in my breast pocket. I forgot to leave it at the apartment. And she's still paying me down. She's like, what is that? I'm like, so I pull it out. Line of people sitting there watching. Josh cracking up from across security. I'm like, it's an action figure. And that doesn't get any response from her. And then she keeps patting the pocket. And she's like, okay, there's something more. I'm like, one at a time, pull them out. I'm like, it's the accessories for the action figure. It's the gear that he wears. Uh, just complete absurdity. And they finally let me through. And uh, I got to tell you, I wasn't embarrassed. Not at all. Because action figure collectors are the most marginalized segment of humanity. And uh, I will no longer stay silent. I'm going to fight the power and make sure that we are finally recognized as human beings. As we are valid people. We need to be seen, heard, loved, and adored. So I will no longer remain silent about being an adult action figure collector. The concert was very good. Refused played an incredibly tight set. When you see them live, you start to realize that punk is not really a great label for them. Their politics are pretty aligned with the punk movement, but musically, there's so many tasty guitar riffs going on there that I think they owe a bigger debt to, you know, like this 70s guitar-based rock more than anything else. You know, there's definitely some Led Zeppelin. There's definitely Black Sabbath. Um, really great band to dive into. They, they put on a great show, but unfortunately we sort of had this Mexican standoff between the three of us as to who was going to fall asleep first. We were all <laughs> dreading this sort of late night. We're all retired from being cool for sure. If we ever were cool. And, um, I was, you know, I was kind of, uh, on the fence. Uh, Josh was gung-ho, 100% wanted to stay for the whole thing. We knew they were going to play New Noise last. Um, I could have made it. I definitely could have. I was, I was feeling energized. I was a little tired, but I was energized. And Bobby Torres, bless his soul, was the first one to tap out. And look, I'll give him benefit of the doubt. He's raising a small child. He is probably less energy reserves than myself or Josh do. Although we are cat dads, so that's not nothing. Um, so... We, we made a tactical retreat, and uh, that was that. But I definitely, if you have the chance to check out Refused, you should go and do it. They're phenomenal. Great band. So this is probably a good place to talk about coronavirus, which was on the tip of everybody's tongues at New York Toy Fair. Now, overall... Um, most manufacturers were putting on a brave face and, and only cautioning that there's going to be a couple of weeks delay. And maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have a warped view of the impact of this. And I have a little update on my side to share with you guys as well. 
But generally, the suits of the toy industry are downplaying the threat of this or the fallout from it. But I would say even if they're right, even if this outbreak is managed and work resumes, we still have the bigger glaring issues of the majority of manufacturing taking place in China, our addiction to cheap plastic product, and the instability that a single ripple can cause in the global market. Um, So even if their assessments are correct and we're looking at a minor couple weeks uh, interference, which ultimately still allows this machinery to keep going on, I think we then bought ourselves some time until the next pandemic happens. Now, they haven't classified um, coronavirus as a pandemic yet, but if you have been following along with the news, this is not slowing down or stopping. There are more and more cases expanding and continuing to grow worldwide. Um, We are particularly in an interesting situation in the U.S. because now we have reports of people who have gone to get tested for coronavirus and may or may not have it, and then it, then received these crazy, overwhelming medical bills just for the simple tests that they were doing as a courtesy to be sort of, you know, take themselves out of the equation should they infect other people. Separate topic, separate problem to go over. So the, the general mood is the bigger manufacturers are downplaying the disease and the ripples that will happen. Uh, going through the showrooms, um, you know, they are... They are not sort of revising ship dates and things like that in a meaningful way as far as I can see from the people I talked to or the things I saw. They just see this as, you know, uh, a slight setback. I know that retailers stateside are scrambling to buy any inventory that exists in DCs and warehouses here in the States. Uh, As you guys know and probably experience every time you go to a Target or Walmart, GameStop a little less so. But empty shelves have been common over the past, let's say, five to ten years. You know, these these aisles have not been well-maintained, well-kept. Inventory levels have always been somewhat depleted, more acutely so in the past couple of years. Uh, I think we're going to be looking at graveyard scenarios for these toy departments at mass market retailers. I think it's going to be all empty pegs um, for quite some time. So what does that mean for me? Well... I have finally gotten some updates from the people I work with. This would put seeing new samples of Radic and and Hackerman, if these dates are to be believed, sometime mid-March, so within the next three to four weeks. Um, I am skeptical of these dates. What this tells me, if it is true, I'm taking all this with a grain of salt, but if it is true, that means that the, the tooling shops are up and running, probably at a limited capacity. But the, the sort of workshops, the, the yards where the steel is melted and reformed and tweaked to make Radic and to make Hackerman, uh, those have been somewhat operational. There does seem to be forward movement of the tooling process. Now... Your tooling team is much different from the team you need to have finished final product. 
The finished final product uh, takes assemblers, takes quality control people, and it takes painters, which can be the most difficult part of the process. Uh, the painters that I've worked with have been making this specific type of product for more than a decade. They understand the importance of eye decos, clean lines, tight spray masks, etc., etc. Those things are very, very hard to communicate and take a long learning curve to get new workers up to speed with paint deco. Um, so what is the big picture here? What does this all mean? What's the, the net here? Um, I am not prepared to promise anything. I would encourage you to forget that I said middle of March I'm going to see new test shots because I can't guarantee that's going to happen. I can't guarantee that if this timeline continues, then April would likely be a month of a new figure. Um, I just think we don't know yet the entire scope of things. I would feel a little bit more confident if the coronavirus had slowed or stopped its spread, if the borders were being eased in Hong Kong and in China. I do not believe that's the case. I, we're hearing now that Japan is, is starting to get into a semi quarantine state and contemplating closing borders and things like that. Um, so I am skeptical of this news. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this is a reasonable timeline and things are back and moving very slowly. I'm not prepared to give you guys new dates and new promises and new commitments for when this stuff will land. So hang in there. I want to get these things to you as soon as I can. I'm anxious myself to add these toys to my collection. And uh, rest assured, patrons will know as soon as something lands in my mailbox, I'm going to share it with you guys. So um, overall, I, I don't think we're out of the woods. I think it's good to have new information, but um, my temperament is exactly where it was before I got this update. I was lucky enough to have a great patron, Mark Mosman, invite me along to the Hasbro showroom walkthrough, which uh, was actually the only official Toy Fair event or thing I did. I did not go to Javits. Um, I didn't really interact with very many people outside of, you know, just personal friends that I wanted to see. Um, so that was great. I can say that the six-inch G.I. Joe stuff looks fantastic in person. Duke's head sculpt in particular, really, the pictures don't do it justice. There's there's a very interesting take on the character that uh, I think works really well there. Um, so I'm looking forward to that line. I, I don't really care about Scarlet. I don't really care about Roadblock. The Snake Eyes looks great in person. Duke looks great. You know, I'm, I'm reluctantly a six-inch action figure collector because uh, it's gotten so good lately. So uh, I'll be picking those up. I, I do think also there's this smaller scale Star Wars line that people have seen. You know, the, the notable one is the Mandalorian with his bike and Baby Yoda with his sort of pram. Um, this is much a much smaller scale than I thought it was. It is pretty close to Mask, Kenner Mask. Um, I didn't have a figure to sort of put side by side, and they are kind of chunkier, their hands are bigger. I don't think proportion-wise it would fit in with mask, but it seems to be roughly 
two, two and a half inches tall. And, um, you know, like, I'll pick up the Mandalorian set. Uh, it's mildly interesting. I, I don't, you know, I don't really get tied up about the constant introduction of new scales for these things because I'm not the end consumer. They're they're trying to keep these things relevant to younger buyers, and uh, I don't take offense to the mass market sort of uh, going after, you know, trying to diversify as much as they can. Now, there are two sort of discerning things that I picked up on in Hasbro and in the general vibe and all the photos I saw online. And um, this is this idea of novelty versus innovation. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a bit, but uh, I think there are some good examples of this. One is the venomization for Hasbro and Marvel right now. Like, so many of their figures are just venom symbiote over, you know, like taking over a popular character. Venom cap and, and down the line. And uh, I liken this a little bit to, like, the zombification of popular characters as well, which both Marvel and DC have gone through phases of. I think DC Direct is doing a bunch of DC zombie figures now. These are just morally bankrupt. uh, Sorry, (laughs) creatively bankrupt ideas. I shouldn't say morally bankrupt. Um, The venomization, you know, it, it stands for just really, really running out of interesting things to say or do you're just taking what do people love and how can we sort of multiply that you know like uh, in some respects we dealt with this with the endless iterations of clones during the prequel films you know what what do people love Uh, stormtroopers and and boba fett so let's just clone that a million times over and it can work on the onset and it can be relatively interesting novelty to have and to collect, but there's nothing, you're not saying anything with that. There's nothing there. There's nothing behind it. Uh, I would also say that, and look, I am out of the habit of reading comics in a regular capacity, but I have a hard time thinking of good examples of contemporary characters. I would love to hear from you guys if there are good examples with within DC and within Marvel of new, interesting, compelling characters that they've created in, let's say, the last five years. Now, maybe Miss Marvel is really great. I think, you know, visually she's interesting. Um, But are there other ones that I'm sort of missing out on? Because I think that the tendency to, to go for something like venomization, which I don't know if that's the right term. That's the term I'm using here. Uh, I, I think it it is a sort of like... It's a cover-up, you know, it's a cover-all for just not having new compelling characters or stories. I'm perfectly happy to be wrong on this, and if you guys can point me to the characters that not only are sort of compelling and interesting, but also have are worthy of toys and, and have sort of taken and, and caught on with people, I would love to hear that. I, I think the Deadpoolization of action figures is another example of this, right? Like... Deadpool, look, that I was at the right place, right time for Deadpool's appearance. He seemed like an okay, mildly interesting character. I think they've built, obviously, a, a pretty, you know, a uh, pretty big revenue generator. 
with Deadpool and the film series. The films are okay. They're entertaining. They're, you know, they make me chuckle. I don't think they'll age particularly well. But do we need every single character to then get the Deadpool treatment? To have, you know, be in a Deadpool outfit? To keep having these these sort of amalgamations of other popular characters? I, I just, I find this, this stitching together of these ideas to be so empty, you know? And such, a, such an obvious cash grab. There was no more egregious sort of uh, perpetrator of novelty over innovation than uh, the Kenner's, Kenner Ghostbusters re-releases from Hasbro. Uh, now, you guys have probably seen this great ad that somebody made a, a meme out of that essentially shows Ghostbusters, He-Man, etc., etc., and just with the question mark, didn't you buy this shit 30 years ago? Well, we're selling it to you again. Now, everybody's had a different reaction to this ad. I thought it perfectly, very succinctly showed the flaw in what's going on today. The, the choosing of novelty over innovation. Um, but some people were, were genuinely triggered by it. And um, look, is it is it the worst thing in the world that we're getting you know, a new He-Man line that is this time five inches tall and hyper-articulated? Not necessarily. There's greater evils out there for sure. And I've bought some of the wrestling figures because I wanted to check out the body and I've had a good time with them. Uh, But collectively, when you look at all these things together as a gestalt, the, the whole picture here is that they are wringing every single scent, every drop of blood out of nostalgia. And I think that there is a divergence now with toy product. They are either hardcore going after people like me for the nostalgia dollar and then only focusing on essentially kids and, and preschool, which I think this this smaller scale Star Wars line is focused on younger kids for sure. So I think that instead of having middle ground stuff that they're hoping will sell to everybody, which is where the majority of toys have landed historically and there's been successes and failures there. I think that they are totally splitting it now and they're going after the adult collector dollar and they're going after a younger, almost preschool dollar. And it wouldn't be so bad if there was some kind of innovation going along with it. And I really have to, I have to parse out the difference between novelty and innovation for you guys because it's, there's a subtle difference there. Uh, What Super 7 do and what Mezco do, it may not be innovation, although I think you could argue the 112th figure line from Mezco is somewhat innovation. It, it, It essentially took the Hot Toys business model and shrunk it down and they have done some fantastic stuff with clothing and decals on clothing and applique. Really impressive, technically, what they've managed to put together. And I also commend Super 7, who, let's be honest, are in the nostalgia game, but have such a specificity for the approach and such a, an immaculate design sensibility that they pull it off in ways that I think Hasbro and Mattel failed to do. Now, why why do sort of Mezco and Super 7 exceed where 
Mattel and Hasbro kind of trip up and fail. It goes back to my golden rule that, you know, a singular creative vision will always trump a product put together by committee. You know, and when I talk about singular creative visions, I always mention, um, you know, Notch from Mo Yang, Pendleton Ward, Brian Flynn, although I think uh, his right man, right hand man Josh deserves a fair due of credit as well for how Super 7 has done. Mez from Mezco. Like, when there is a singular creative force and voice and somebody willing to take responsibility for success or failure, things are much more impactful and much cooler and make a hell of a lot more sense. So to, to kind of break down novelty versus innovation, novelty is, is what I saw the majority of. You know, the rehashing of nostalgia, the slight additions and tweaks to a standard format, which this new Masters of the Universe classic is, is kind of doing. Um, just the, the wholesale re-releasing of the exact Kenner figures, which are plentiful and easy to get and relatively cheap by Hasbro. Um, the most egregious thing I think I saw was the movie, classic Ghostbusters movie, Six Inch Figures, which we've already bought four times over at this point. You had Mezco do it with real cloth. You had Diamond Select do their seven inch figures. You had Mattel do their figures. There is, I would argue, not a reason for Hasbro to be doing those figures. And I'm completely uninterested in Ghostbusters, this new film, any of the product related to it. I like the first Ghostbusters movie. I think like Back to the Future, which is another line that everybody's regurgitating. Um, these are fine movies that existed in the 80s. I do not understand the cult following for either of them and the need to sort of perpetuate over and over again these characters, dressing up like them, buying product from them. I, those are two that have always been a head-scratcher for me. And I don't, I don't quite understand what the thrust is, what the, the relevance is. And I think you can also make the argument that once there are more bad films than there are good films, um, you know, these things kind of tend to dry out on the vine. So those are sort of examples of novelty, right? Now, I think I would define novelty by the intention of the intention of uh, the cash grab being pretty apparent. I think that, that that is how I would define novelty. Um, innovation which I did not see a lot of at the show, is are things that kind of change the game and move things in a new direction and and take an idea that may have existed before but putting their own spin on it. I think that reaction is kind of innovation through de-evolution in some respects. And you may not like Super 7's reaction line. You may think that they are now overpriced, you may bellyache about that, you may hate the whole concept altogether. But the fact that that line existed brought us the alien line, which never should have 
come back to the surface that was a sort of cursed property. The fact that they survived an acquisition of Funco, I don't know if acquisition is the right term, but a partnership with Funco, they managed to come out of that with huge clearances at every retail and still exist and still survive and continue to target properties that have been underserviced as opposed to overserviced. Um, that is a mark of innovation. Now, is it a complete game changer? No, I, I don't think you could say that, nor could you say that Mezcoast 112th is a complete game changer. But these are at least modestly innovative and are doing a fresh take on characters and IP. And in a lot of cases, characters and IP that nobody else cares about except for the sort of creative minds behind it. I did not see any true, pure, 100% innovation at the show. Maybe those were the things that were locked behind, you know, closed doors and secret meeting rooms. Maybe that these, all these manufacturers are sitting on truly innovative things. But I didn't see any of it, and I would have guessed that Toy Fair would be a good place to kind of announce huge innovative products. I'm talking things like, you know, uh, Furby, you know, uh, the, the truly like massive black swan type of items. I did not see a single one of those. Um, I think that, you know, from my vantage point, it was all a nostalgia play, which maybe that makes you happy. I think that's okay. But I can say, uh, you know, it's just not for me. So it does beg the question, are we at the end of history in terms of manufacturing and the toy industry and everything else? We have not innovated the way that we manufacture toys. The steel tool molds, that is the lar largely the same process that's been used for more than 100 years. Um, the reliance on fossil fuels has not changed. 3D printing does seem to be a little peek into the future, especially with these resin vat printers. And as the materials get stronger and more durable, maybe that's the solution. But largely, not only just in terms of the product facing, and the IP selection and things like that. Um, the manufacturing, also part of it. Uh, innovation seems to have dried up, and I've felt this way for several years. It seemed abundantly apparent in this past Toy Fair that nostalgia is being sort of served up because there is no innovation and, and there is no alternative there. So maybe we've reached the crescendo of how deals are done, of how toys are made, of how product gets out to the masses, of how retail works and how retail thrives. I don't know. It's all very interesting questions to ask. What is the antidote to that picture of bleakness? Well, it's independent creators, as it has always been. It is singular creative voices. It is supporting companies like Super 7 and Mezco and your local Glios manufacturer. Um, you guys hold the power to the counterbalance for uh, this stalemate, this stagnation that's happened. Um, I would love to find a way to innovate manufacturing. I don't know how to go about doing that. But the key to all of this 
is likely getting away from steel tools and the ginormous molds that have to happen. And the fact that... I'm going to share a little story. The fact that China is really one of the only places to get these steel tools done. So I had lunch with uh, the guys from Thousand Toys, and I am sorry to announce there was no news on Series 2 of Knights of the Synth. Uh, They were very tight-lipped about it. They are having the same struggles every other manufacturer is having. They have moved all their production to China. Some small portions of production were done in Japan. Japan was still manufacturing, you know, I think within the last 10 years or so. And Bandai, I believe, still manufactured quite a bit in Japan. I believe it's almost exclusively their model kit division. I could be wrong. But, um, you know, what what Thousand Toys said is that uh, even if they reignited manufacturing in Japan the way they used to and the way a lot of Japanese companies did, they would still have to import the steel tools from China. They have such a... It's not even a monopoly over the process. It's that they've been willing to do the work that no other countries wanted to do and that the U.S. outsourced close to 100 years ago to them. And they are really holding all the cards in that respect. Now, look, there is manufacturing that happens in Vietnam. There is manufacturing that happens in India. These are all places that are susceptible to the next coronavirus-esque outbreak. Or, in the case of India, the entire continent being underwater. Like, these are all baskets that are really on a knife's edge in terms of environmental impact. So I I think that the, the steel tools might be the linchpin here. I think if there's an innovation that can circumvent that process or allow that process to be done elsewhere in a smaller capacity using materials that are not so detrimental, I think that that might be the key to a lot of innovation, a lot more people being able to make their own product, and not having such a tenuous supply chain, and least of which, softening the the impact on the human lives involved in in this process. Uh, But I'm not a metallurgist, I'm uh, not an engineer. I do not have the sort of mental capacity nor the tools to kind of solve this problem on my own. But I do think that if a brighter mind can figure out that part of it, then this whole process could get a lot better in many respects. So that's everything I got for you guys. Those are my thoughts on the weekend that's passed. Uh, I'm going to take some DayQuil and play some Bioshock now. Hopefully, start feeling better soon. Um, Go and buy the art book. Thank you guys for selling out Azulado. That was really quite a thrill to have them gone in just under an hour. Um, I got a lot more stuff for you. We're probably looking at a new figure or a new release, um, you know, just about every week for the immediate future. 
And uh, I love telling these stories. I love writing the short stories. I love that you guys read them. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, the only thing left to say is pizza out.